Instead, we are joining in an expression of unity with other believing churches in Richmond to do this series called Explore God. Today, we're going to look at the question of, is there a God? And the pastor went over time at the early service, and so he's sworn to himself and prayed fervently that he won't do it at the second service. So let me cut to the chase, right? The question really isn't, is there a God or not? Because every human being who's ever lived has a God. Uh, you were built to worship. And so you, you may think, oh, you know, in the postmodern age, you know, I just believe in science. Well, I would submit to you, if that's what you believe in, if that's what gives meaning and purpose and direction and a, a way to kind of make sense of the world, then that's your God. And I would submit to you, not only does every single person who's ever lived have a God, uh, but every single person who's ever lived has a God who reveals certain things. There's a, there's a text or a set of information that, that that God gives that helps you understand Him and the way life works. So, so the issue for, uh, human beings is not whether or not, uh, you have a God or not. The question is, what God? Who's God? Who is your God? And so one of the things that we're going to get at today is uh, answering that question because uh, the God of the Bible is the God we're talking about. And the God of the Bible, as as we've already declared in our call to worship and uh, who and in our prayer of confession, who is a God like that? Because what we uh, and what the scriptures tell us and what we hold to is, is that our God is the God who made us, who created us, who sees us, who's engaged and involved with us, who directs the affairs of the world, and who redeems. And so what I, what I want us to do this morning is take just a couple of minutes and talk about the issue of the existence of God and, and proofs for that and, and that sort of thing. Then I want us to look at the God of the Bible. Uh, uh, the God who is revealed to us in the scriptures. And then I want us to look at, a, at the last thing is, as the, the God of the gospel, the God who redeems for us, right? And so as we, as we do this today, there's a couple of things uh, for us to keep in mind. One is, uh, you know, the, this whole issue of proof that God exists. Now, one of the things that we look for and one of the things that we would like to think is, is that we could come up with some sort of airtight argument that no human being, that nobody anywhere could refute, right? And if we get a hold of that uh, and we are able to demonstrate that, then we can rest assured and we can assure everybody else in the world uh, that there's a God and that God is our God and he exists and and he lives and he works and he does those the, the, these things. So... The, the, but as we're going to see as we unpack this this morning, the problem's not with God. <laughs> the problem's with us. And so, so not only, not only if do we, are, are we kind of off base when we think we could come up with something that we could prove beyond any shadow of any doubt ever, ever, ever that there's a God. More than that, what we have to realize is, is there's a God who exists, who is, who is portrayed to us in the scriptures, uh, who walks among us in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who rose again for us, who's coming again for us. And, and that God is our God. And, and the issue for me and the issue for you is the question of whether we can even see him 
or hear him or believe in him. Um, it was parents weekend for my daughter, uh, you know, the yearly thing where you do a lot of college propaganda. And if you're like us, you make a, a mandatory trip to Walmart <laughs> to get all those things that you forgot to send or, or whatever. So my daughter uh, is a senator and a singer and uh, all kinds of stuff, highly involved in her campus, really super involved. Uh, she is uh, pursuing a degree in the most useless major uh, possible. Uh, that's according to U.S. News and World Report. She's pursuing a uh, uh, an art history degree. Don't laugh. Pay my tuition. She uh, has, has has a minor in uh, museum studies. So what she wants to do is she wants to do document preservation for museums. That's what she really wants to do today. So um, <laughs> so. Uh, she's taking logic this fall. So we were asked, I was asking her about her logic class. Now, the reason why she's taking logic is that fulfills a math requirement because she, uh, if you look in the dictionary under the word math phobia, you would see Maddie Shelby's name there uh, because uh, she is convinced, and she, frankly, she's been helped to be convinced by some teachers along the way that she's a math idiot. So she's in logic. I took logic. I took a couple of logic classes in college, and so we're out to dinner, and we're talking about our logic class. And I said, have you got to the stuff in logic about proofs for the existence of God? Because when I took logic, that was a big deal. My professor uh, had a proof. He didn't believe in God, uh, but he had a proof for the existence of God. It was 46 steps. How do I know it was 46 steps? Because he was the professor, and I took his class. I had to memorize it. And I said, so Maddie, has your professor talked to you about proofs for the existence of God? He's like, Dad, that was for the Middle Ages. <laughs> we don't do that in this class. And so I, I said to her, I'm like, really? Well, that's unfortunate because that's a big part of Western culture, all those proofs for the existence of God. She says, well, I'll tell you a proof. I'm like, okay, strap yourself in. Here we go. She says, I have a friend named Helen. I love Helen. I invited Helen to a religious event. And uh, I was so embarrassed because the guy talked about Jesus and at the end he did that thing. And I said, what thing? He said, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you want to trust Jesus? And she was like, I can't believe I brought her to this. And I looked out of the corner of my eye thinking she's going to be laughing at this. And she raised her hand. And you know what? I'm like, what? She's like, I can tell she's different. We go to church together every Sunday. In fact, she's my ride to church. <laughs> now, you know what's really mysterious about that? It's not that Helen <coughs> heard a gospel presentation 
And she raised her hand to say, I believe. That's what I want. What's mysterious is people sitting next to Helen who heard the same thing and didn't raise their hand. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So in uh, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, in fact, what we're going to do is we're going to do three things. Um, And those of you who are visiting with us, this is not typically the way we do church. This is not typically the way we do sermons, but for seven weeks, seven, the number perfection, we're doing things imperfectly. And so uh, uh, we're doing it this way. It's good for the pastor to submit to something else. So we're going to, a few words about the existence of God. We're going to talk about the God of the Bible and the God of the gospel. In uh, Tim Keller's book, uh, The Reason for God, chapter nine is a great chapter in that book. You should read it uh, if you want to know a little bit more about this. He is called The Clues for God. And one of the things he does is he quotes Al Plantinga, who's a, a a believing uh, philosophy professor, uh, well, I guess he's retired now at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, the philosopher Alvin Plantinga believes that there are no proofs of God that will convince all rational persons. Uh, there's a presupposition there that there are rational persons to be uh, convinced, but we won't, we, won't, we won't dig into that. However, he believes that there are at least two or three dozen very good arguments for the existence of God. And if the truth be told, if you think much about the way you believe life and the way you go about things in life, that's probably the most of the way you think about it. There, there's, there's, you probably don't think about the airtight proof for things, but one of the things that you do think about is, is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of great reasons to believe that. And so Plantinga, uh, uh, says that, and I think that's a, that's a pretty good place for us to start. Next slide, please, Liz. Uh, so one of the things that he gets at in this is, and, and one of the, the reasons why, for me, I believe that there's a God. Uh, there are two big things, personally, that are just subjective to me that helps me come to grips with this. One is, and I think there's great evidence for this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I, when, I'm, when I'm driving around in my car and I think, is there really a God? Is this stuff really true? That, that's where I begin. But the second place, the second thing that I think about is this issue of beauty. Now, I, I think there's something profound about human beings and beauty. I think there's something wonderful about it. And, 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 and one of the things that I think is profound about that is, is that there's something about beauty that strikes us, that speaks to us, that, that does something to us that I think is, cannot simply be explained by we evolution, right? One of the, I mean, we're about to enter into that season where people will f- get in their cars and flock to the mountains or flock to New England and they'll get out of their cars and cause traffic jams just to stand and look at the leaves, right? And they're just looking at the leaves and they're like, it's the, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's stunning. Look at that. Wait. I, I'm, I'm just oh, uh, uh, amazed by that. And so, uh, one of the, so I, I say that and I say, you know, there's, there's something about that that appeals to us, that, that speaks to something in our souls that says to us and creates this longing for something more. Now, now you may be thinking, oh, come on, Steve, this just leaves. By evolution, what we know is that our ancient ancestors looked at trees and trees that looked like that 
usually were places where there were good things to eat. And so our ancient ancestors flocked to those trees. And so we simply look at them now and we have this kind of echo through evolution that says that's where food is. And so we think it's beautiful. Okay. All right. I like my explanation better. And my explanation is better is that you were made to see and appreciate beauty because you're created in the image of God. God loves beauty. Have you seen the ad for the state fair? That it's a beauty uh, show for chickens. There's really colorful, fancy looking chickens, you know, like really, you know, I think why aren't all chickens gray? Why are they, why are they beautiful? Why, why are they, they made that way? Why are we made to appreciate that? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think there's something about that, whether it's music or visual things or beautiful food or, or whatever that speaks to something in our souls that God has implanted in us. And one of the things about beauty that is so profound is it creates a longing in us for more, right? And so, uh, Keller says, doesn't the unfillable longing evoked by beauty qualify as an innate desire? We have a longing for joy, love, and beauty that no amount or quality of food, sex, friendship, or success can satisfy. We want something that nothing in this world can satisfy. You know that. You know that when you pour yourself out for something to to achieve something and you finally achieve it, there's that, that moment where you're like, oh, This is the greatest thing ever. And then it's gone. And then you're left with thinking, is this all there is? I I, I want more. I want I want something else. Uh, One of the one of the things that uh, I, I remember being stunned about when I was in college taking a class on astronomy is that one of the ways we figure out where there are big planets and big stars is by looking at the way the little planets and the little stars move. Now, you might not be able to see the big thing. But you can see the little thing that's moving and the way it moves is impacted by the big thing, right? And so though you can't see it, it is impacting and directing the way things move. Well, that's the way human beings are. Though you may not be able to see God, even though you may not not, not know he's there, he is impacting and affecting the way we live, the way we think, what's going on inside of us. Augustine said that there's this God-shaped hole in us and that we will never find rest until we fill that hole, till he fills that hole uh, with himself, right? And so I think this is, I think this is a pretty profound thing for us to think about. And that's one of the ways there's, maybe you're more scientific, maybe you're more something else. There's a lot of great uh, proofs for the existence of God there in that chapter. I submit them to you, but beauty is one of the ones that speaks, uh, that speaks to me. But let's look at the God of the Bible. Let's look at the God who reveals himself. Let's look at Psalm 19, verses 1 to 11. This, is, this text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun. Which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. 
Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there's great reward. So Liz, go back to my notes. So one of the things that we, you note about this is that there are some things that are pretty clear about this God who is pouring forth all this glory and all this information through his creation and through what he, he reveals about himself. The first thing is that he's there, that he exists, right? The Bible begins with these, these profound words, in the beginning, God, right? So before there was anything else, there was God, and this God is there, and he sees, and he, he, he speaks, and he creates, right? One of the things that we note about God is the very first thing that we see about him is that as, as the, he hovers over the mass, the stuff that is there, the chaos that is there, he speaks. And as he speaks, there's creation. He says, let there be light and there's light. Right. So so this this God is not just some kind of force and he's just not some kind of energy or something like that. He actually is a person who speaks. He's a person who creates. And, and he does so in a way that is, is, is beautiful and, and, and profound, right? But not only that, not only does he create, but this creation is made in such a way, created in such a way that it reveals him, right? It speaks about him. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. In other words, the stuff that's around us, this creation, these flowers, these leaves, these squirrels, these bugs, this grass, whatever it is, is all revealing stuff uh, to us about God. It is crying out to us, pointing us to the one who made it, pointing us to the one who is greater than us, pointing out to us not only who he is, but things that are true about him. He's big. He's powerful. He, he loves beauty. He, he's creative. He's dynamic. All of those things are being demonstrated to us through this, through what the psalmist sees here about the, the nature of God. But that's not all. This God doesn't just make creation and say, I'm going to leave you the creation and you can figure me out that way. He speaks to us, right? The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true, right? So so one of the things that we note about this God is that he not only does he create and not only does he reveal himself in the stuff that we see around us, he speaks very plainly and very directly to us. And that is evidence to us of, of the fact that he's personal, that he speaks, that he reveals himself, that he's relational in that way. But even more than that, he speaks to us. And one of the ways we know, well, one of the things that we can know about him because he speaks to us is, is that he loves us because he tells us, listen, this is the way I made you. This is the way I made the world. This is the way to live in this world. This is the way to thrive and to flourish and experience the fullness of life that I created you for. 
And so, so God's engaged and involved, not just in the ordering of affairs, certainly, and not just in the creation itself, but he gives us revelation of himself. He reveals himself. That tells us that he, he wants us to know him. He wants us to be aware of him. He wants us to understand who he is and, and what his desire is for us, right? So that is, that's a pretty powerful and profound thing for us to think about. This God doesn't just make the world and stand apart. He makes the world and that world reveals him to us. And his word that he reveals to us, that he speaks to us, reveals more of himself to us. And so this, it's, it's, who would want to be married to somebody who never revealed anything about themselves, right? You, you can't have a relationship with someone who is not revealing who they are, what their desires are, what, what, what their aspirations are, what, what those sorts of things. So that's something that's important for us to, to understand that this God's not silent, that he's not absent, that he's engaged and he's involved and he's speaking. Now, when we say that he's personal, that doesn't mean that he's like up close and intimate, although that's true. When we say that God is personal, we're saying he's a person. In fact, he's three persons. Now, the Trinity is one of these things that people are like, oh, you know, when you start talking about that stuff, it is so hard for me to figure out. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But the fact is, God has existed the triune God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for eternity in perfect love, in perfect honor, and perfect glory. And because of that, because of that, and because he made us in that image, we reflect that. That's how we're able to love. That's how we're able to, to honor. Those, that, that's, the, that's the thing about this God that makes him powerful and profound for us is that he's not just a force at work in the universe, but that he's a person and, and that he relates to us in very personal, uh, and, and, uh, ways. You can't have a relationship with a force. <laughs> you can't have a relationship with, with energy, right? But you can have a relationship with a person, right? So if God is doing all this stuff, he's ordering the world and he's pouring forth his glory and he's revealing himself and, and we can, we, and he's speaking and all this kind of stuff. What's the problem? How come everybody doesn't see it and believe it? Cause we know that that's not true. We know that there are people in, in this room right now who, uh, your arms are folded across your, uh, chest and your brow is furrowed and you're like, no, that is not true. And then there are other people sitting in here who are like, oh, I'm so glad God knows me and he loves me and he speaks to me. What's the problem? Well, the scripture tells us what the problem is. Romans 1, 18 and following says this. Start right there in the middle. For the wrath of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now that is a stark, direct statement. Right? I don't suppress anything. Right? <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. All of the stuff in creation that we just read about and all of the stuff that God has revealed 
are clear, spoken, and demonstrable things to us to know that there's a God and who that God is, right? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So that's the problem. The problem is not with God that God's hiding himself. The problem is not that God is, is, is back behind some kind of cloud or something like that and we can't see him. The problem is that God is pouring forth all of this revelation about himself. He's demonstrating over and over again to us the, the truth about him, but our hearts suppress it. Now, and you may suppress it. You, you, you may, some of you may be consciously suppressing it. You may be thinking, I hear that and I will not believe that. Or I refuse to believe that. Or I'm, I'm, you know, if you're a kid in here today, you may be thinking, well, I'm going to hurt my parents by not believing that, right? So, so, so maybe there's some sort of way that we make a, an act of our will. But for many of us, it's just a subconscious, unconscious thing where we just go about our lives thinking, you know what? I, I just, I just don't believe I'm just not going to be accountable in that way. Adam and Eve are placed in the garden and everything's wonderful. Everything's good. They're good. They're beautiful. The garden is wonderful. It's fruitful. They have a whole eternity before them to fill the earth and to exercise their dominion. They, they have uh, all the trees of the garden are available to them except one. And God says, don't eat that one. It's very clearly spoken to them as the truth. And in their freedom and in their silliness and in their rebellion, they eat. Well, the fact is, the fact is human beings have been doing that forever. And God said that when they did that, they would die. Now, they didn't fall over dead at at that moment. But their ability to see and perceive and to know what's true, as Paul says here, their minds became futile. Their ability to see and to process and to understand and know the truth became darkened. Their ears got stopped, their eyes got closed, and their hearts went dead. The Bible tells us that we are dead. That's why people don't believe. They're dead. They're dead. They can't see. They can't hear. Their heart doesn't beat. They're blind. And so as a result of that, what must happen? Well, what must happen is that God must make them alive, that he must regenerate them, that he must place a new heart in them that can believe the truth that can see the world rightly, that can hear the words of the gospel, that can, can see and hear this revelation about God and know who it is that's speaking to them, know who they are and respond in the way in which they were designed to respond, right? So, so how, how does this work for us? Well, the God of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5.21, next slide, please, Liz. 
Um, well, Jesus' self-sacrifice demonstrates decisively the seriousness with, 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 with which God deals with our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. This exchange, the glorious exchange, demonstrates not only God's wrathful disposition towards sin, but also his gracious disposition towards sinners. You see, God is so big and so great and so wonderful that throughout human history, he has been working this plan and demonstrating to us his love and his care for us so that Jesus Christ takes on flesh, lives a life we could never live, reveals to us who God is, uh, and, 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 and lives in a way in accordance with what God has revealed about how to live, dies, takes on the consequences and the punishment for our suppression and our willful disobedience, overcomes that, gives us his record of righteousness, and rises again to new life. Next slide, please, Liz. So the Old Testament looked forward to this, and the New Testament reveals it to us. Listen. Christianity is the only major religion to have at its central event the humiliation of its God. The cross of Christ appears to be the very humiliation where Jesus Christ takes on exactly what uh, our sin deserved. After earning for us a perfect righteousness, which he gives for us, he dies for us and rises again. You see, what you have to see about this is, is how big and how profound this grace of God is. Because not only does he redeem a people for himself, not only does he act in time and in space in Jesus Christ, but he also acts in such a way that he makes dead hearts, dead eyes, dead ears alive so that they can see and hear and believe. Um, I was talking with somebody uh, earlier this morning who uh, is somewhere along the, the path to uh, believing in Jesus. Um, and he said, Christians, he asked me a question. He said, Christians believe that uh, when people die, you do that thing where you put them in the ground. I said, yes, we bury them. And he said, and you believe that Jesus will raise them from the dead. I said, yes, we do believe that. I, I just buried my mother a month ago, and I'm counting on the fact that she will, she'll rise from the dead. And he said, well, what about people who are cremated? And I said, what about it? I believe that God can take whatever those ashes, cremains, whatever they are, and, and, and whatever constituent elements that are left out there that were you, and he, he raises that, and, and, and it's you. But I'll do you one better. What about the people that the fish eat? That's the ones I wonder about. What's going to happen to them? <laughs> and he looked at me. His eyes got really big. And he was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And I said, my God is big enough to raise the dead. Wherever and whoever and however they are. And if he can do that, 
Don't believe the lie that human unbelief is more powerful than he is. Right? Some of the times what we think about this is, is, is that this gospel is weak. Right? But the fact is, the power that we see in the gospel is not just that God loves us, not just in the power of the cross, but in the power of God to take that which is spiritually dead and make it alive. So when my daughter says, I'll give you a proof for the existence of God, it's my friend Helen. You sit up and you take notice because he takes someone who was dead in trespasses and sins and has made them alive forevermore. Let's ask him to help us this morning. Lord, we come to you today and we uh, recognize that um, we, as we've already sung, uh, that we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, some, some of us have people in our lives who we know and we love who uh, seem to be more powerful than you in their rejection of the truth of the gospel and their uh, unbelief. I pray that uh, just as you raise the dead, that you would give us confidence uh, today that you can raise and give life to the spiritually dead. Lord, I pray uh, for the proclamation of the gospel to be empowered by the Spirit so that hearts that are cold and stony would be replaced by hearts that are soft and believing. Lord, we pray today for those of us who struggle uh, to trust you, that by your Spirit you would uh, enable us to fully entrust our lives, ourselves into your hands. Lord, I pray today for those who are confused about uh, who you are or what you are or where you are, that by uh, your powerful word and by your spirit, you would make clear uh, who you are and uh, uh, the means whereby you have uh, given us to know you and to be known by you. Lord, help us. Um, we, uh, it's hard for us to confess our weakness, our deadness, and yet, Lord, you are the one who makes alive. So would you do that in us? Would you do that through us? Would you do that for us in Jesus Christ? Bless us.